Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Today we're going to get a little bit philosophical. I was having some discussions with some of my uh, board game media friends online and we started kind of rambling around and I started taking notes. <laughs> and so I came up with an idea for a podcast because I was kind of struggling for sort of a general topic. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you know, a, c- a couple of podcasts ago I kind of talked about my favorite other podcasts and things like that. A new podcast I've been listening to is called Game Brain, and I'll put a link to them in the description on on the video and stuff. Uh, They're brand new. They have a very interesting uh, format. It's one host. His name is Matthew Robinson, and he has his game group come in, and it's sort of like a rotating gallery of co-hosts with all folks from his game group, and they have sort of like a different cross-section of gamer types, if you will. And so each week they kind of focus on different styles of game based on the host and they'll have a topic that's kind of up that host's alley. Uh, So it's a very interesting format and it's something that I've enjoyed listening to over the past several weeks. And so if you have an inclination, definitely give uh, Game Brain uh, Podcast a look. And another thing I wanted to bring up before I start getting into reviews and things is I think next month's podcast will be kind of a Q&A type of thing. So I'll create a thread on the BGG Guild, which I'll put a link to that thread in the description and everything. It's been about a year since I did a Q&A, and I'm sort of in a weird sort of stasis of podcast topics because I'm working on my top 50 videos of all time, doing that. There's a bunch of new games coming out to review, you know, for Origins and things like that coming up. Uh, and I've got some top 10 lists in the back of my pocket, so to speak, that I'll will pull from. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's been a while since I did a Q&A, so if anybody was interested about, you know, anything, uh, then they go ahead and drop a question in there, and I'll try to answer it uh, next month. And before we jump into a little bit of reviews and then get into the main topic, I do want to give kind of a heads-up warning that, kind of based on the topic, I will get into some Game of Thrones, uh, the TV series, uh, spoilers at the very end, just to kind of kind of wrap up that topic, but I will timestamp it on here, and I will give a heads up once I get to there. If you're listening to the main topic, and then you know you don't want to have anything spoiled uh, up to the you know most current uh, Game of Thrones episode, which at the time of this recording is the third episode of the eighth season. But I just kind of had a point that was sort of kicking out of that discussion that uh, I mentioned earlier. So just a heads up and a warning there. So moving into some more reviews, I've got a few reviews uh, this this month, and then just in case you missed the reviews, I did a couple of proper reviews on the YouTube channel, Hellboy the Board Game, which I really enjoyed. Uh, very interesting, kind of unique uh, flavor to basically Dungeon Crawl, but it's set in the Hellboy universe, so to speak, based on the Hellboy comic book. And it's got some really sort of, uh, I guess you can call them innovative, but just different mechanics for that typical dungeon crawl style game. So definitely take a look at that review if you have any interest in you know, a new dungeon crawl or maybe you like the Hellboy universe. And I also did a review for Tiny Towns from AEG. This is from a first time designer. I was really actually uh, blown away uh, by this game. It plays one to six players. It's very quick, you can play it like half an hour. Very, very streamlined and really simple mechanics. But there's a lot to kind of chew on, lots of replayability and stuff. I think a lot of folks are talking about this game uh, at this time. So if you haven't caught it, you know, go ahead and check out the Tiny Towns video or even somebody else's video because uh, it's a really fun and fresh, interesting game that the families really liked and most of the game group uh, is liked. Not everybody in the game group is like it. Uh, so anyway, that's Tiny Towns and then Hellboy the board game. I did a couple other uh, videos. I did a battle report 
for Kill Team, which was kind of terrible, but some folks liked it. And the actual game that happened was interesting, but I had some kind of technical issues with the sound dropping out like halfway through and then some other issues and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to do some more Kill Team and Age of Sigmar battle reports in the somewhat near future. Uh, but I'm kind of working through the kinks of my new equipment uh, that I got with the Kickstarter. And the other video was I kind of went through, did an overview of all the Lords of Hellas expansions that are out. And unbeknownst to me, I actually covered a Kickstarter exclusive expansion. I wasn't aware it was a Kickstarter exclusive. So I apologize for that. I was kind of made aware of that after the fact. Uh, but if you want, if you're interested in that game and uh, you've liked it, and I love Lords of Hellas, it's, it's one of my favorite games. Uh, there's a lot of kind of choose from from the different styles of expansions, adding new gods and new play styles and upping the player count, adding new maps and boards and things like that. And they're kind of like a plug and play kind of thing. So you can take an ad and just do minor tweaks or complete overhauls to, to the game, so to speak. So pretty interesting stuff there. But let's go ahead and jump into some proper reviewing here. I actually have five games I'm going to review somewhat quickly. And instead of doing it in ascending order, usually when I do these little review breakdowns, I start with the one I kind of like the least and then move to the one that I like the most. I'm going to do it in reverse. Uh, just because I'm really excited to talk about this first one. And it's actually an expansion. I'm actually going to cover two expansions today. Uh, the first one is for Chronicles of Crime, which I did a review for a few months ago. And this is the Noir expansion. And what this does is it adds four new cases to the base game of Chronicles of Crime. You still need the base game. But these are set in a completely different sort of environment and time period. This is set during like the 1940s or 50s with kind of, uh, you know, like noir detectives. And you got four new cases. There's two medium cases and two hard cases. And just to kind of cut to the chase, I love I love this expansion. I love it more than the cases that are in the, the base game. Uh, because The main difference is you have a whole new set of character cards and things like that and new locations that are set, of course, in this time period and new cases which are more appropriate to that time period. And you also have kind of like new actions that you can do. So the basic gameplay is the same. You go to different locations and interview witnesses and you kind of scan through the scenes and find items and ask people about the items and the other people that are involved in the case. But instead of the four sort of specialists that you can call on your cell phone like you can in the base game, you actually have these four kind of different actions that you can do and like for example you could break in into a spot like if you come to a spot and they don't let you in you can kind of break in and enter that spot or you can rough somebody up or you can bribe somebody or you can kind of like stalk somebody and sort of shadow them and follow them around to see if their behavior changes after maybe interrogating them or something or maybe they're like a dangerous kind of character and you don't want to get too close to them because I know I've not experienced this but you can effectively like die if you like get in a fight with somebody and like you know I think I think lose the case now this hasn't happened because we've been pretty cautious when we've played you know not to kind of overdo it with these extracurricular activities but it's pretty interesting how this works and sometimes you'll do it and it will take up uh, sort of an indetermined amount of time so like if you're shadowing somebody uh, one example we did we shadowed somebody in one case and it was like it ate up five minutes of time and then we shadowed somebody uh, at another place and it ate up like an hour of time. We're like, oh no, you know, so we lost a whole hour, you know, and that kind of drastically affected our score. But, you know, it was kind of a interesting 
idea. It's sort of like pushing your luck, a gambling kind of thing, which kind of goes with the theme of noir. You know, you're kind of like on a stakeout or you might try to bribe somebody and you have a certain amount of money that you can spend uh, over the course of the case and you might rough up the wrong person or you might, you know, you know, do it in such a way that you, not that you would get any kind of violence back on you, but maybe you rough somebody up and they didn't really deserve it. So you don't want to really do it then. But I thought this this added a lot of kind of flair and theme to the game, and it just it made those kind of actions that you would take uh, definitely more interesting than just like you know calling up the computer hacker guy back at the office who's able to look up something on the database or whatever. So really, this kind of elevates the game for me. Uh, one thing that we kind of noticed was uh, we, in our group we'd all kind of played the the base game and then now the the expansion. And one player kind of said something that I was kind of feeling like while we were playing, and he felt a little bit more to the extreme than I did, but he kind of felt like we were playing whack-a-mole versus kind of putting together a puzzle. And I can't say that I disagree with that because he felt like we were just kind of eliminating possibilities and stuff. And in the case that we played with him, uh, you know, we went over time, so that kind of affected our score, although we solved everything except for like one question which frankly wasn't very relevant to the the real gist of the case but he felt like we were just kind of like saying okay well we talked to this person now let's talk to this person let's go to this location so we're just kind of working our way down whereas when you play some other games in this style like escape room style games or something you really get a sense of solving a puzzle which he said you didn't really feel that here you were just kind of clicking through and the story was kind of being fed to you and I think that's uh, certainly a valid perspective, and I certainly felt a little bit of that, but not to the extent of, uh, of of what he felt. So I think he got it to the point where he like didn't really care for it. Whereas me, I kind of felt like that, but in the discussion of what was going on in that particular case, I did feel like we were putting two and two together and linking people up and their relationships and stuff like that. Um, but I do kind of see his point. So I just thought I would kind of throw that out there. Uh, but I definitely highly recommend uh, Chronicles of Crime and really recommend uh, the Noir expansion. It was just a lot of fun uh, playing through that kind of environment. So that was the Chronicles of Crime expansion. And the next uh, game I'm talking about is also another expansion, which was the Great Western Trail expansion, uh, which is titled uh, Rails to the North. And I finally got a chance to play this. I've been waiting to play it for a while. And I really did enjoy the expansion. It kind of, if you're familiar with Great Western Trail, it kind of adds all these kind of funky railroad tracks and other cities to the board on top of the board. And you can sort of play a little bit of uh, area control or trying to be the first person to get like one of your little houses uh, of your player color out onto this board. And it gives you a whole bunch of other like scoring options, really. And that's really what it changes up. Like the basic game of moving your little cowboy meeple through. Uh, the trail and building buildings and getting cows and selling cows and you know running through the train the train tracks and getting bonuses and all all that's really the same. It doesn't really change up the core mechanics other than the action to sort of build a little trail of houses up on this board on top of the main board. But it really changes up like how you score. So how you win the game and what's you know important to do is what's changed. But the basic mechanics and stuff not really. I wouldn't say they really changed hardly at all. But this is the interesting thing about this is I really enjoyed it and really had a good time with it and definitely looking forward to playing with the expansion again. But I also kind of feel like if somebody said, hey, let's play with just the base game and not the expansion, I'd be a million percent okay with just doing that. So it feels like a fun expansion to add in and play with maybe every once in a while. 
but I also kind of like sort of added just like a little too much above and beyond the base game for me to really get super excited about. And may, maybe, you know, I'm still kind of, I only played it once, so maybe I'm just kind of still debating in my, in my mind if I actually like it. But I did. I mean, I had a good time. I had fun. By the end of the game, I was like, that was super fun, and I will do that again. But also in my brain, I was like, well, I would rather maybe just play with the base game too. I don't know. So I'd say if you're thinking about getting this one, in my opinion, I would say, yeah, if you've got it or something, you need to add 25 or 35 bucks or whatever is for free shipping or something. Then, you know, if you're that kind of person, then that seems like a good idea. But I also, you know, like I said, I would be just fine playing the base game because that really kind of clicks along and has a good hum to it. And we've all played it several times now. And I kind of feel a little bit bad about maybe spoiling that a little bit and throwing all these extra kind of monkey wrenches into it. But I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's good. I think it's excellent, you know, the way it's designed and everything. And I think, uh, it, you know, they did a good job with it. It's just I'm not super sure, like, it's necessary is what I'm trying to say in a super roundabout way. <laughs> anyway, so that is the Rails to the North expansion for Great Western Trail. Definitely recommend at least looking at it and giving it a shot. And then uh, if you're, you're a huge Great Western Trail fan like myself, then it's probably worth having just so you can pull it out once in a while uh, to add on top of the base game. And then maybe get used to it over the course of a year or something, you know, as you kind of break it out. But it's definitely at least worth a look. So that was the Great Western Trail expansion. The next game I'm going to talk about is Architects of the Western Kingdom. And so this is by the same designer and publisher, Renegade Games that has done like Raiders of the North Sea and something something of the North Sea. I think there's like three games that are like this and that of the North Sea. And I think this is the first of the Western Kingdom games. I believe there's Architects of the Western Kingdom and then Paladins of the Western Kingdom. Anyway, this is the first one I played in any of those series. And this game was really interesting so it's kind of like just a normal worker placement game except you can kind of build up workers on a spot to increase your activations you you, go, you were kind of running around building castles and buildings and all kinds of other euro stuff uh, but the worker placement thing is pretty innovative so if i put a worker somewhere and i get like some stone and the next time i put a worker there theoretically my worker that i placed there on my last turn is still there so now i'll get two stone because there's two workers there and sometimes, you know, it, it's kind of variations on that. Sometimes you need a pair of workers to even get anything. And, you know, you go to certain spots and trigger other things or get buildings and have to discard cards to build buildings or discard cards to build a cathedral spot and so on. Now, the other thing that you can do is you can go to a spot and sort of theoretically, like, capture workers or take your workers back. So if I go to this one spot, I get all my workers back off the board. But if Billy beats me to it, he can capture my workers and kind of keep them on his board and then send them to jail effectively or this tower, which will get him some money and then also, you know, give me my workers back. So that's kind of an interesting thing because as you sort of build up a bunch of workers on a spot, then that becomes sort of like a juicy target for your opponents to do that to hopefully get some money out of. Uh, so that's 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 an interesting little bit of worker placement, sort of a, a twist on that. Uh, the rest of the game's pretty, you know, like any Euro. You get resources and convert them into buildings, and then you get special abilities and stuff like that. Um, and there's some other kind of cool, interesting things you can do with the market. And then sometimes your reputation will sort of allow you to exploit different things because you go up and down this reputation track. 
but that, that's all pretty familiar if you've played a lot of Euro-style strategy games. The one most interesting thing to this game to me, above and beyond that worker placement funkiness, was how quick the game was. Uh, we actually played a two-player game, but I've talked to other folks you know, that have played it three and four, and it's kind of the same idea, is the game end will really sneak up on you. Uh, like, I could see, having played it again, if I played a two-player game again, I could see it being done in like half an hour, like, or 40 minutes. And it, it's weird because there's kind of a lot going on with all the worker placement stuff and, you know, managing your resources and some of the different trigger abilities and all that stuff. So it's pretty crunchy and meaty and a lot to chew on, but it can end super fast. Like, you can really kind of rush the end game. And I've talked to some folks, and some folks didn't care for that. But I actually kind of like that. It kind of reminded me of an older game called Manhattan Project, which was, you know, fairly, depending on what your kind of taste is, you could call it like a medium to maybe heavyweight. I mean, it's not like 18xx, so let's kind of throw that out. But it was, you know, it's kind of heavy. There's a lot going on. It's not like you can sit there and just autopilot the thing. Uh, so it kind of reminds me of that, where you could be very uh, quick and brutal and and try to just you know cut people off at the knees. And this has a lot of that into it. So I'm definitely excited to play this one again. Um, I, I kind of tend to like stuff that, you know, it, the pace is just funky. And that's what this is. Uh, when I had played it, you, you can sort of like acquire these debt cards, but you can get abilities to sort of trigger once you sort of pay off that debt and flip the card over. And you can sort of generate some other cool stuff. So you can maybe go into debt on purpose and you're running the risk of getting some negative points at the end of the game. But then if you have sort of a combo and some different characters in front of you, that can actually work out to be your benefit and sort of be a windfall of resources and reputation and points and stuff like that, theoretically. Well, that my, the clock ran out on me big time and I, you know, I didn't even see it coming. It just like sped up and I was kind of forced to the point where, well, gosh, to even do any of this, I have to build myself, which is going to trigger the end game even quicker. So I like that kind of stuff, you know, where it's, it's not like you can see the end coming. Like you have to be very careful about getting caught kind of with your pants down. I, you know, I just kind of like that threat of, of danger uh, in some of these style of games. But I can definitely see people being, this is really quirky and funky and not for me as well on the other side of that. But I thought it was cool, and the art and everything was very pretty and everything. So uh, I think this is, again, probably, I don't know if it's a recommend, because I've had enough people tell me when I post on Instagram and Facebook, I was like, hey, I played this, it was fun. And people were like, no, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, so, yeah, to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But I think it's worth a shot, and kind of knowing that you're going to go into a very funky different game that you might want to wrap your head around a couple of times to see, you know, if you like that kind of pace. So that was Architects of the Western Kingdom. So now the last two games we're going to get into, uh, I would say, are disappointments to one degree or another. So we'll get to the one that was sort of the least disappointing. Uh, that is the new edition of Power Grid. Now this is called the Recharged version. And I think this is like the, what is it, the 15th anniversary or something like that edition. And so when they announced it, I was thinking this is going to be a gigantic rules overhaul, like new components, maybe like the deluxe edition or something. And, you know, they just kind of announced it and I was like, oh, cool. You know, Power Grid is like one of my favorite games. And then when it come out, it's the same, really. I mean, it's got some new wooden bits, I think, at least from the old version I had. Uh, the board and stuff is, is pretty much the same, the card art and stuff like that. Now, there is some rules changes. 
the gist of those rule changes is basically there's some cost differences on some of the the power plants and the resources and the, sort of the way that the resource uh, supply and demand stuff works. It's slightly different, not not terribly different. But there's one kind of key rule change, which I really liked. But let's kind of get the disappointment out of the way before I talk about that rule, which I really like. Is, I, you know, like I kind of said, I thought this was going to be like a lot more than just like a really one kind of rule change with some uh, cost tweaks. Uh, so I thought it was going to be kind of a big overhaul because they're, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult. I think I just kind of hyped it up in my head and was expecting like, oh, it's the anniversary edition, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to do this big thing and kind of get it back out there and kind of refresh the line and maybe do new expansions and stuff. But I can kind of see why they didn't because then, you know, you got a new version. You've got people that have bought the old one with tons of maps and they don't want to sort of obsolete all that stuff. So I kind of get it, but I, I also kind of feel like the stuff's been out for a while. Um, so why not refresh it and kind of come up with a new game with some, you know, more refreshed mechanics? Um, you know, I don't know. The game's pretty good. So like, you don't really have to change anything either. Uh, but I do want to talk about the one mechanic that I thought was really cool. Is uh, basically, you know, when you have go into your auction round and you go to auction for a power plant. I'm not going to explain Power Grid if you haven't played it. There's There's a lot of videos on it. And it's kind of considered a classic. But, so, you're doing the auction. You're doing the auction for the power plant. And the cheapest one, you put a little token next to it to just say, this one, the opening bid, can be as low as one. Because all the power plants have an inherent value that the minimum bid has to be, and then you kind of bid above that. So, that makes it kind of interesting because that sort of kind of works against maybe the main flaw that people have, which I don't really think is a flaw, where, uh, you know, you've got sort of the order of buying resources versus buying or auctioning power plants. So that kind of plays with the that turn order bit just a kind of a little bit. Now, once that uh, power plant is, is bid on, let's say you know, I'm the first player and I, we start bidding on that one, once that's sold to somebody, then that goes away. So the next lowest power plant is going to stay at its normal bid. It's not going to drop to one. Or if you bid on another one and then we flop a new power plant card, if it's lower cost than that lowest one, which can happen, you know, especially later on in the game, then, you know, then that cheap token or whatever goes away anyway. So it can kind of live or die. So it kind of is sort of bait for folks to go after uh, to try to score a cheap power plant. And if it lasts a round, lasts, you know, a couple of rounds of bidding and, and auctions, then it be, kind of becomes sort of like a consolation prize. So somebody gets something super cheap, even, you know, as, as the really good ones kind of go along as, you know, as the game progresses. So I like that mechanic. I think that's really cool. But there's no reason you couldn't just like play with that mechanic, you know, with any of their power grids. Now, I don't know that they're all like cost balanced to use that mechanic like this one is, but to me i was like yeah i kind of wish they would sort of reinvent the rule because i really like the theme of this game i really like all the different mechanics and stuff the supply and demand is interesting the way the turn order flips is interesting and just the, kind of the wind condition you know the race to power a certain number of cities is, is cool but i think i was expecting a little bit more and i kind of feel like though maybe i sort of uh, projected some of the hype myself but I do feel like, you know, they kind of like said, hey, this is going to be this great new thing. And it's like, oh, it's this one mechanic <laughs> that you could just kind of throw at any of the versions of Power Grid, maybe. But I would say if you've never played Power Grid before, I would definitely recommend picking up the recharged version. 
um, which I don't know if that's going to kind of become the default version or not, but I would certainly recommend it because I do like that little bit of a wrinkle there. And there's a couple other little wrinkles with the setup and things like that with the first set of power, uh, power plants and stuff like that. And like I said, the cost tweaks. Uh, but yeah, I recommend you know checking out the recharge version for sure uh, if you haven't played it, and because I think that's, that's probably the better version. Um, but it's 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 slightly different than you know the basic version. So that's the Power Grid recharged version, and the last game we're talk about is a little bit of an interesting thing. It's called Cabo. It's from Bezier Games, from the designers of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. And this is a weird one to explain. So it's a deduction game, as you might suspect from the designers of One Night. But it's also like trying to play something like uh, like a standard 52-card game. With, you try to matching numbers and getting a low hand of numbers. So everybody has these kind of hidden numbers in front of them. And you can look at two of them out of the four cards that you're dealt. They're all face down. You look at two of them. And then everybody does that. And then you just draw cards off the deck or out of a discard pile to sort of replace the cards that are in front of you. And you're trying to have the lowest hand. And some of the cards have special abilities allowing you to peek at other cards or look at your own cards that you haven't looked at or to swap cards with other players. And the other thing that's interesting is if you get a pair or more of cards, uh, let's say I had like four fives, then I can take and swap a card a single card with any set of like numbered cards. So I can take 15 points down to like a three or maybe I draw a nine and I get rid of the three fives because I'm taking 15 down to a nine. So you're trying to sort of line these up and then somebody's going to call Cabo and then everybody else gets a turn to maybe mess with them. Uh, but then at the end of the, everybody getting one more turn, if you called Cabo and then everybody reveals all their cards and you have the lowest total, you score zero points for that round, and everybody adds up all their cards, and they score that many points. Otherwise, if you're not the lowest, then everybody just scores as many points as uh, as they have. So there's also a little bit of kind of cool push your luck there with calling Cabo and stuff. There's a couple other special rules, but that's kind of the gist of the game. Um, this game is kind of good, but I really do not like it with four players. And with two players, it's maybe... Uh, I don't know. It's it can be a little bit weird and volatile, but I kind of like that. It's probably perfect with three players uh, because four players it seems like it goes on forever, um, and it just you know like everybody's kind of like a little bit afraid to call cobble because there's just kind of so much possible that's out there. You don't know who's got what, and if you're kind of calling, it's a much bigger risk because you may not be able to get a good sense of all of the players. You may be only have a good sense of one player, maybe two player, what they've got. But when you play with two or three, uh, it's it's more interesting because then you can kind of push it a little bit because you can kind of calculate the odds a little bit easier and all that kind of stuff. So maybe take a little more of a risk with the Cabo. Um, but it's also kind of pretty, it gets a little bit bland. And then that last kind of round of card flipping after somebody calls Cabo, if you pull up a high number card, they all usually say swap on it. And it's just like, oh, you can just hose the player, which is part of the risk of calling Cabo, but it's also just feels like a little bit of just a, a flop of luck as you know as the game goes along, and it and it is kind of lucky too because as you just kind of draw cards, you're like I keep drawing thirteens, you know, and that's just no fun. Uh, so it's a little bit loosey goosey with the luck. It's not terrible. Like if you said let's play it and we got a couple of minutes, like I would play it. It's it's fun, 
but it's just not something I like super want to recommend either. Because it's like not that fun. And I can think of a lot of other games that I would rather play. But it's it's kind of cute and interesting. Now the interesting thing about this game is this whole mechanic of like looking car- cards in front of you and then kind of trying to learn more about what's in front of you. This core mechanic that's in here, there is another series of games coming from Bezier Games that have more like, I'll just say like one night stuff in them. So I can kind of leave it at that because they're kind of starting to roll this out and they asked me not to speak too much about the the next game. This is kind of like a little sort of taste test of that mechanic that they're going to explode into some more, you know, some more funky things. Um, you know, so when they sent this stuff to me, they sent me a letter and said, hey, you know, give this a try and then, you know, try the other game. But we're rolling out Cabo first as just kind of like to whet people's appetite for this mechanic. And then we're going to kind of roll out a little bit more uh, beefy of a game. Now, I've not played that other game yet. Um, but I am interested because this one had some fun things in it and some cool ideas, but it was just kind of like, eh, it's just kind of, you know, super kind of basic and, you know, I'm trying to get the low card, but you flopped the card better than me. And so it's just a little bit dissatisfying, especially to play like hand after hand. Uh, but keep your eye out on this stuff and, you know, take a look at Cabo. It might be fun for you. Okay, so that was the last review. That was Cabo. So let's take a quick little break here. Listen to some Donkey Kong music. And then I'll come back and talk about my sort of top five board game myths, which I'll explain in a little more detail. Okay, so we're back, and I'll tell you kind of where this uh, idea for a topic came up. Uh, so I was talking to some of my my media friends, uh, specifically uh, Jamie uh, Kiki from Secret Cabal. Uh, we kind of got each other fired up over a couple of different things, and so I said, I'm making this a topic on my podcast because I've been trying to figure out a topic, and and then I kind of went away and took some notes and kind of wrote, wrote down a couple of things. But like effectively, we were talking about the way folks talk about games and things when they review things and stuff, and sort of like pet peeves or just ways of talking about stuff that is kind of just sucks the fun out of it. And then I was like, yes, this this is always like a little bit sort of it always kind of tickles the back of my head and like it sort of bothers me about different things. And the thing is, is like I'm super guilty of I think every single one of these as well. Um, so it's almost like I'm trying to just sort of highlight little crutches that myself and I think others, you know, sometimes fall into when they're trying to convey, you know, what they think about a game. Um, but also try to, you know, take a step back and look at it. It's like, well, that's not really a fun way to look at it. Like you're kind of being a little bit of a poindexter there. But like I said, I'm guilty of some of this stuff too, for sure. Well, all of it. <laughs> and so, um, so let's get into the number five then. And we're going to talk about downtime. So a lot of times, you know, you'll hear in a review and, you know, I'll say it and not even just in a review, folks will say it just, you know, in general conversation is, well, it was an okay game, but had a lot of downtime. And for me, when I hear that, like, I understand it. I know what they're trying to say. It's like, there's a long time between your turn and your next turn. But that means that there's nothing interesting going on in that time space for you. Like the game is boring. The downtime isn't the problem because there are plenty of games where the downtime is, I would say, significant, but I'm still interested in what the other players are doing 
Or maybe the game is so complex that I've got enough to think about that will keep me busy for the next, you know, three to five minutes or whatever you consider long downtime that, uh, you know, the downtime is not a problem. So it's not the downtime that is always the problem. And I think effectively what folks are trying to say is that the game is boring, (laughs) not that there is, you know, a lot of downtime. And just one example I can think of is, well, two examples. The first one is Firefly the board game. Now, that is a a game that can have some long downtime. But for me, I'm super excited when I play this, usually, to play Firefly. And so I'm interested in what other players are doing. What little adventures are they going on? What am I going to do on my turn? You know, how is the board state going to change? And I do know, and this is kind of goes into my number four topic, but I do know that when I play Firefly, like, my brain is ready for downtime. And the same thing happens when I play uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Now, other skirmish games, there's not usually a lot of downtime, but if you play a big game like Age of Sigmar or 40K, there can be a ton of downtime. Uh, I mean, there could be 20 minutes before your turn. Uh, You know, there can be. Because, you know, I'm I'm taking and moving all, like, 100 of my models and doing my stuff, and then you're doing your stuff. And so there can be a lot of downtime. But for me, not an issue, usually, because... You know, as the other players doing their stuff, they move this unit this way and they move the other unit the other way. I'm like, well, damn it, they're going to flank me. Or, oh, now they've moved closer to my leader character who's really cool and is the linchpin of my army and I don't want that thing to die. So I've got to think of a way to kind of counteract that. So usually in that game, like I'm still pretty busy in the brain thinking about all the stuff that's going to happen. Now, sometimes, you know, I would say like in a tournament setting, it annoys the crap out of me. I've talked about it on this podcast before where I don't really enjoy tournaments because there's also like a time clock and it's like you have an hour and a half to get this game done and it's like this fool is taking way too much time to move his 90 goblins and you know I've you know it might sound like sour grapes but I've lost at least two tournament games that I would have won if we kept playing like through the course of the game but because they called time and I was like well the score is nine to seven I guess you lose and I'm like I would have crushed this guy on the right sand of the board because you know whatever. So the downtime sucks in that case. But, you know, just playing normal casual games with friends or whatever, uh, I don't care. You know, it's downtime, whatever. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to go get a soda. It's fine. I'll be back. I mean, still, I'm still having fun. I'll, I'll be back. It's fine. I'm going to get a soda. Okay, move our stuff. Let's do some combat. No big deal. So the downtime is not a problem. There's downtime, but it's not bad just because it's downtime. So that's number five. That's like the most easy going of these. So the number four is game length. And a lot of times I will see folks, and I'm guilty of it too, saying, well, this game, it's too long. So that means it, it's it's not a, a good game for the modern you know, tabletop gamer and this and that and all that kind of thing. And I get that. And there are certain games that, you know, they play quick. So they get like a little bit of a, of a boost because they're, they're in and they're out. And, you know, you've, maybe you left the house and you and your spouse went to game night and you've got the babysitter at home or whatever. And then, you know, you've got to get in two hours and get them out. Well, that's fine. But I don't really think, I think there's sometimes a too much of an emphasis on that as a criteria for being a good modern design. I don't really think I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I see some inkling of, you know, sort of like, well, that game takes six hours or that game takes five hours and it's forget about da- downtime. It's just that game takes a long time. So, it's, it doesn't really, you know, deserve maybe the kind of attention as a game that takes 45 minutes to two hours. 
and this isn't like a huge issue. Maybe should, this should have been number five, but I still see it. And I'm like, well, that's not really a right way to look at it. Like if you're going to sit down and play Twilight Imperium, you just got to know that like, you got to block the day out. And that's not really a good or a bad thing. It just is what it is. You know, and I see a lot sort of a sentiment of, well, this is really good, but they've they've updated this design. And now, 10 years later, they come out with another game and it's all streamlined. And it's better because it's streamlined and I can play a game that used to take six hours and I can play it in two and a half hours. And like, that's good if you're somebody that, you know, you need the time. And that's a, certainly a valid concern, obviously, because if you don't have the time, you don't have the time. But I also don't automatically think that that's a better game because they've streamlined it. Like, eh, whatever. Like, maybe those extra little nooks and crannies and crunchy nuggets and stuff, you know, you lost something with that. And so to me, there's not a better or worse game length thing. It's like they streamlined it and it's better. Or, oh, I lost all this crunchy stuff, so that's better because it's longer and has more crunchy stuff. I don't really think that's a good like barometer for anything to say, this is streamlined or this is more crunchy, so one is better than the other. Like, I don't think there's, you can't say one is better than the other. If you got, if you, you know, pressure for time, then you want the quicker one. If you want to chew on stuff and, and get, you know, some more granular, maybe more of a simulation kind of thing, then that's good. Like, it's not a better or worse thing. And the third one is that there's somewhat of a sentiment that I see out there. I don't know how widespread these things are because the internet's a big lie. But you have this thing that Ameritrash and Eurogame are not good uh, descriptions. And I would agree with that to the extent of, to somebody brand new to the hobby that doesn't understand what those terms are, they're not good. But then as soon as they understand what those terms are, then they make sense because there's like some history in the term. So, you know, back in uh, 10 or 15 years ago, there was sort of a schism of like, these are Euro games and these are Ameritrash games. In the Euro games, you kind of know what they are, right? They're, there's no player elimination. There's not a lot of conflict. Maybe there's a little bit of more solitary type of play, lots of ways to score points maybe, very kind of sort of streamlined mechanics versus an Ameritrash game, which is lots of dice rolling, lots of conflict. Maybe the themes are more dorky, you know, like there's sci-fi or fantasy or whatever. And then the Euro games are a little bit more bland themes, theoretically, if you want to think that way. It's like shipping stuff and, you know, delivering goods and all that kind of stuff. And I think those terms are fine as jumping off points. So that gives me a barometer like well it's more like a euro game that's more like an ameritrash game so i'm like i know how to kind of ballpark that game and ballpark my expectations so i think those terms are fine because if you just tell me like a mechanic it's a worker placement game well i don't know it could be ameritrash and be worker placement you know it's like well it's got dice in it well it could be a euro game with dice in it or it could be an ameritrash game with the dice in it and i think that having kind of loaded terms like that that require like a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of history and kind of pack a bigger punch beyond you know sort of the surface meaning of the word I think that's okay I think that's fine as long as you know whoever you're talking to knows what the heck you're talking about then you got it um, now granted like somebody brand new to the hobbies be like Ameritrash well that sounds like it's not good and it sounds like you're being derogatory towards the United States and it's like well no this is you know where it comes from because there's a lot of American games blah 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 and there was a lot of uh, sort of trashy themes. And my other gripe is this. I see a lot of people wanting to use the word Ameritrash versus Ameritrash because I don't know why. I'm not going to project why. But I think some people get offended by the trash, which trash isn't necessarily offensive. It's just trash. Uh, anyway, that's kind of weird. But 
also, I also don't think Ameritrash is really accurate. Now, in a lot of Ameritrash games, you have conflict and you fight. So you might say, well, we're always thrashing each other. Yeah, but not all Ameritrash games are about fighting. A lot of them are. But you can have a cooperative Ameritrash game that's more Ameritrashy. Like, look at Pandemic versus uh, Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror, that's an Ameritrash game. But you're fighting things, but you're not fighting each other. It's just, you know, or you're maybe not even doing fighting. You're just doing dice rolling and skill checks and stuff and not really a lot of fighting sometimes in those games. Versus Pandemic, that's more of a Euro game. Now, I like the trash in that because it's trashy themes. It's pulpy, you know, uh, adolescent-ish themes uh, in a way. Or what can be perceived as adolescent. Not that there's anything wrong with that sort of angsty just over the top, you know, smashy themes. Uh, you know, you've got sci-fi, you might have you know, the Arkham horror stuff, the pulpy Lovecraft stuff, the fantasy. That's trash. That's like trash novels, right? That's like your 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 dime store, uh, you know, 10 cent novel you would pick up on the rack. And like, that's not necessarily a negative connotation. You could, if you want to look at it negatively, then you can look at that negatively. But there's a lot of, you know, good stuff that comes out of science fiction and fantasy that I think is, uh, betters humanity as art. I'm just, you know, that's why I think. Um, but it's, you know, it's in the trash novel section. So a lot of these trashy themes, I like the Ameritrash stuff and you get the whole American side versus the Euro side in terms of how the games were developed for the last few years. So I think those terms are fine. As long as people have an understanding of what you're trying to say and not just say, well, this has trash in it. And so that means it's bad, you know, well, not all trash is bad. So that's the number three, Ameritrash versus Euro. Now, the number two is interesting, and I find this sort of curious sometimes, Is and it's a double-edged sword here, but you have this sort of concept that gaming is a great family activity, and one billion trillion percent, it's great for that. I play games with my family, my gamer group friends, they play with their family to varying degrees, and then, of course, we come together and we play sort of as gaming friends, right? And so there sometimes is a persistent thought that, uh, well, we need to keep this a very family-oriented, friendly uh, type of activity. And I think we do. We do need to keep it that way because I think it just works great. I think it, it fosters interaction and socialization and, you know, laughter and uh, friendly competitiveness and all that stuff and puzzle solving and, and all that kind of stuff that's great to do as a group, whether it's a family or a group of friends or whatever. But I also think there is room for, um, I'll just say, I wrote this down as a weird note. I was trying to get my thoughts down. There's also a side for like the terror of, of the world in these games. So just as one example, which has always kind of rubbed me wrong, is when they announced the hate game from Come On Inc. or whatever their name is now. It's the game about hate. And there's cannibalism. It's a post-apocalyptic thing. And there's just a ton of just nastiness. I mean, it's just over-the-top violence and ridiculousness and adolescence and all those things I was talking about just a minute ago. Um, and then there was definitely a backlash on, I'd call it, board game Twitter. That was, you know, this game is, you know, it's terrible and the hobby can do better and all this kind of stuff. Uh, not to the extent they were, like, trying to shut the game down or anything. But I thought that I was like, that's a weird thing to say. I mean... That's fine if somebody like I don't I don't want to play it because it's because I'm weird I don't like, I don't want to have a box that says the word hate on my shelf I'm like well, I don't want to hate things so that's the only reason I didn't want to get it. I'm like that's a dumb name <laughs> I don't like the word hate 
you know, that's just my own little personality DNA quirk. But I totally appreciate that um, it as a sort of allegorical, weird, you know, alternate universe thing. And, you know, these some of these games that are like super violent or something that are out there and dark and grim and all that, like, I think that's good. I think that's a good thing to have in the world, not as people treating people that way, but as a box of sort of angst that you can throw away and then put back on the shelf and come back to it later. Because in a lot of ways that can help you kind of perform, I'll call it like a spiritual exorcism, you know, where you can go and um, sort of fight the demons and fight the the evil chaos and whatever the dark alien uh, substrate of your consciousness and everything. But I think that's like healthy stuff, like honestly. Um, you know, like hard rock music and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's a good thing to get and have. I mean, it's a release. It's all that kind of stuff. There's no reason that games can't do some of this kind of stuff. And whether that's a historical type of thing or fantasy fictional type of thing, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it's actually a good thing to have. Uh, From my perspective, you know, there's a sort of a debate, you know, like, do violent video games cause people to be more violent and stuff like that? And I think there's been studies that has shown that it doesn't, you know, so I don't necessarily, I'm not really interested in the psychology of that part of it, but I know for me and I know for other people I know, like it's a good release. It's a good escapist kind of thing because like somebody said, well, it's like a power fantasy kind of thing. Well, yes, that's what it is. Um, And I think obviously you need to be sort of cognizant of that and aware of it. Um, But there's like, there's a lot of, um, let's call it like diminishment that the world and the universe can sort of throw at you. That's like powerlessness that can uh, come after uh, just about everybody. I mean, I I would assume anybody listening to this podcast, like in one time of your life or another, you'll feel powerless, you'll feel helpless, you'll feel, you know, unable to sort of overcome or change a thing or, you know, do any good in the world and that kind of stuff. Like I I get like that once now and then. And in some things in life that you just, you are going to be powerless to change. Uh, there's just some things that you cannot change. And there's other things that you can change and you should feel like you have the power to change and that shouldn't be taken away from anybody. But these kind of games, I think, are good for folks to sort of... I mean, any game like this, you're controlling something at often like a macro level scale. Even a game like Pandemic, you know, you're controlling the diseases from spreading and all. So it gives you... That's a power fantasy as well. Just the ability to kind of simulate control over something that, you know... I theoretically you wouldn't realistically be able to control. I think that's that's good. And so being able to fight against terror and uh and deal with terror in different ways or just absorb the terror and then breathe it out, you know, let it in and breathe it out, that whole thing. Um I think that's good. I think that should be encouraged as well above and beyond or alongside I should say uh you know, family wholesome game and that kind of stuff because a lot of these games are just I don't know, like I'm staring at my shelf after just saying all these words and being like, these are all power fantasies. (laughs) Even like Codenames and Just One and San Juan. Like I'm like, eh, it's a little bit of kind of, you're trying to win. You're trying to win and enforce your, you you know, your your domain over whatever the universe is that you just unpacked from the box. So I think it's all right. So that's another thing I kind of, I want to steer clear of in terms of uh, folks, you know, coming down too much on some of these more Meritrash games. And I'm not saying that there's not a better ways to do uh, these types of games and evolve them and make them more uh, relevant and coherent and, you know, more with the times and stuff, 100% with that. 
but I certainly wouldn't want to just like lock the door on them and say, well, that's, that's got violence in it. That's, I mean, it's just no good. So that's the number two. I'm not sure what we call, we call that category. Uh, so the, finally, the number one is, uh, is, is this, it's more of a pet peeve for me in terms of this type of phrase, but I want to kind of get beyond the phrase and sort of dig at what I think, um, uh, matters. And this, I'm probably going to ramble like away all over the place with this one. Uh, but the kind of getting circling back to what sort of triggered the conversation and talking about things in, in a way that's fun without being too sort of like a poindexter and too sort of clenched about games is this whole concept for me of like a wheelhouse. So a lot of times, and I've said this before, I said, well, that's not really in my wheelhouse. I don't really do that. Like if somebody said, hey, let's go watch a horror movie. Um horror movies typically aren't in my wheelhouse like saw i hate that movie this sucks <laughs> but i know a lot of people that like that movie and that's cool i mean that's whatever so but for me i'm like well that's like just you know people being tortured i'm like yeah i'm not gonna get too much out of that but i will like a good thriller movie and stuff so you know you say oh let's watch this here you know that's not my wheelhouse i don't like that kind of movie and i think that's a perfectly fine phrase but i also find that's kind of a strange approach for me to gaming um where it's like well i don't really like social deduction games or i don't really like euro games or i don't really like games where you roll dice for combat and that and I, i'm just kind of prefacing a lot of this because that's like 100 percent valid like for me i like a lot of games and all games pretty much as long as they're fun and good but i can see like somebody's like well i don't really want to play a world war ii game where i have to play as germany because then i'm playing nazis and that you know i don't really like that and I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, sure, you don't have to do that. But I also, for me, a lot of times I like to try to take a step back and say, let me put myself in a funky situation. So maybe I try to learn some kind of weird quirk I didn't know was there. And so for me, the, the game itself is not the end product of what's happening. You're like given a musical instrument and you as a group are going to play this instrument together and you're going to push and pull on its strings and, and punch its little chords and then something's going to happen something magic maybe and really depending on the group is you're going to get a different experience now in my game group we have folks that don't like to play social seduction games and you know if we play one night ultimate werewolf or whatever they'll usually bow out or maybe they'll play in because uh you know we're all friends and so they're having a good time with us and then other folks will be more, you know, like they like Ameritrash games more, and maybe they like both or whatever. So to me, it's really important is the people that you're playing with. And so if I'm going to play a social deduction game, I don't want to play it with a bunch of people that like, nah, I don't really like social deductions or I'm not in the mood. I want to play it with a bunch of people that want to get stupid and crazy and lie to each other. And if I'm going to play a Euro game, I don't want to play with somebody that has like a hang up about, you know, shipping stuff across the Mediterranean Sea or whatever. That's, that's not going to be fun. But if there are people in the group that really want to get crunchy like that and I'm in that kind of mood, then I'm going to get after it or whatever. This goes across all the types of games. So for me, a lot of times, and this is something like I do, like I get in a mood and I don't want to play an Ameritrash game. I'm like, I don't want to play that. I just rolled too many dice lately. You know, I want to get into that other type of game. Well, also what I think I have to do like in my own heart to get through that. And I think I don't, 
I also like when as I say this, I don't want to like act like I'm talking down to the people listening to this because I I like really convinced that a lot of people are like yeah, dude, this is how I think too. This is I know this, but I just want to kind of put it out loud and say like you want to be in a position where the game you're not asking the game to do things for you. You are doing things for the game. Like you are an active participant in and being involved. And hopefully the game doesn't get in the way of that. But you want to be able to push and pull and and poke at it and then push and poke at the other players and allow yourself to kind of be like seduced by the experience. Like just, you know, let yourself kind of go and then it will kind of suck you in and just like care enough for what's going on. So I found that like when I care enough, you know, the outside world and my outside kind of mood and stuff that I have a bad day at work or whatever, something's bothering me at home, that kind of stuff is going to affect the game as well. So if I allow myself to kind of take a breath, you know, be seduced and be drawn in, and it's something that is attractive to me for whatever reason, then uh, the game is just going to be that much more fun. If I don't come at it with a bunch of preconceived notions, then it's going to be a lot more fun. And that's, again, not to invalidate anybody's preconceived notion, because if you know, like, dude, I do not like don't rolling dice for combat and stuff like that, well, then you know that. But on the other side, I just want to kind of, like, emphasize that, like, you pushing into the game and saying, let me let me go into this experience and get sucked in. Like, let me just let go and get sucked in by it. And I think that's, I think that's important because you're doing this as a kind of a social activity and it's just kind of, I think it's good, you know, as a board game media person, but just, it probably applies to everybody else. So like, let yourself go and just say, you know what, maybe this is something that I, I'm not seeing on the surface, that as I get under it, then I can see some of the intent and everything. And be, you know, be in a good situation with my friends or my family or whatever and get sucked in. So you want to kind of step out of that wheelhouse is what I'm trying to say and say, well, you know, I don't really like social deduction games, but maybe this one will be different. And I know Billy and Francesca and Bobby and Johnny over there, they, they, you know, I know them, we're buddies, so maybe it'll work out. And so that kind of wraps up that last thought. Now, this is where I'm going to kind of dovetail into the Game of Thrones stuff, because it, I kind of want to use it to illustrate that last point maybe a little bit more. And so there's going to be a bunch of spoilers here if you're not caught up. So I apologize for that. Maybe come back to this later and listen. And so I just watched the most recent episode, which was uh, episode three of season eight, which uh, I, I loved it. I, I, I love the, the whole series, the whole Game of Thrones. I like a lot of things about it. And one thing I found was interesting that kind of triggered a little bit of this was I saw some people posting uh, articles. There's a large battle in it. And they were posting articles about the military tactics used by the, the human forces, let's say, against the undead forces. And I was like, yeah, really? <laughs> and they were talking about how like stupid the tactics were and they're not realistic and stuff. And I was like, first of all, have you never seen a Hollywood movie? <laughs> because I don't, I could probably go through a lot and most Hollywood movies, even those based on historical things, where they cut corners and stuff because of trying to, you know, actually make the movie and create the film in a way that you could, you could watch, you know? And so I'm like, and I also started to think to myself and I said, I said, that is not why I watched this television show. Now, I watched Game of Thrones for, and I'll just kind of be more kind of uh, more of a summation here. I watched it for Tyrion. I don't watch it for the dragons or the Night, Queen, Night King. And I think a lot of times with this sort of, uh, um, it's, it's kind of a geek culture thing 
where like the lore and all that kind of nonsense sort of overrides the actual art of it where these worlds and things get built up and a lot of times it, this can kind of apply to, to the way uh you know you might look at games but i'm watching for the character and if there's interesting characters then i'm going to be way more into it now the lore and the background and the universe building that can be interesting and it it should be an interesting uh backdrop to throw at these, these characters now a lot of times it's like so take game of thrones where a lot of people have said i've seen on facebook and stuff i should probably delete half my facebook but uh you know they're like ah, this is i don't understand why this person killed the night king and this other person should have killed it or you know what about this you know how come how does this actually work this is kind of magic doesn't make sense to me and i'm thinking to myself like that's not the show that i watched i was seeing uh this tender moment between Tyrion and a character sansa or i was uh, you know, seeing the desperation on this person's face or feeling the full-on dread of these several characters that are getting mauled by thousands of undead. And I've seen these characters develop over the course of, um, you know, the history of the show and stuff. And I'm like, this is this is why I'm watching the show. Like, I'm not counting the number of people that died. And I'm not, you know, worried about, you know, can this kill this thing and how does this magic work? It's like, this is the backdrop of a of, of uh, like almost like a, the oppressiveness of a principal power and the things that are again like out of your control that you can't deal with these larger bigger scale issues that the individual really has uh, no direct hope of you know triggering and having an effect on but how they're kind of dealing with it and surviving in the face of this sort of omnipresent uh, force of nature in a lot of ways or these dastardly uh, you know, rich, noble, uh, royalty type folks, you know, how are these folks dealing with it on a kind of a day-to-day -day personal basis and, and, you know, in getting on with their lives? That to me is why I really like that show because a lot of the characters are very interesting in how they deal with it. And even some of the more powerful characters are, are, are interesting as well because the show kind of leans on the human side of them, although some of them are a little bit I'll say like a caricature, so to speak, but you kind of need that a little bit in storytelling. Like you can't really get into the bottomless depths of humanity in any kind of thing, really, uh, artistic wise, game, painting, music. It's all sort of a snapshot and a slice. And I also kind of get caught up in some of that stuff. I mean, because it's kind of fun to just dig in and sort of go into this fake history of this imaginary world and just think of your own sort of fiction for it. You know, a lot of times. Uh, you know, you'll see something be like, oh gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next week on the show or in the new Marvel movie. I wonder how they'll resolve this kind of thread and stuff. And, but I honestly don't get too hung up on that because again, that's not really the important part of it. I think the important part of it is them like selling me on sort of the character reactions and the motivations and that kind of stuff. And not necessarily like how, how does the force work? You know, well, I don't know. It's who gives a crap. <laughs> it's stupid. It's this, this fake magic levitation stuff. Like, it's ridiculous. So my point, kind of wrapping it back to uh, to the gaming thing, is, you know, I, like I, I think that I found myself sort of getting somewhat caught up and in, in sort of looking at this like a poindexter sometimes. You know, as a reviewer and stuff, you try to be objective and, you know, you want to tell people, uh, you know, as accurate as you can what your thoughts of the games are. But to try to uh, kind of come at it with a fresh sort of innocent type of thing as much as you can you know try to shed those like layers of skin and just sort of absorb it and you know i think everybody kind of struggles with that uh and you kind of go through um uh sort of like modes and cycles and stuff where 
I'll, I'll go through a very good streak and I'm just like enjoying all the different games that I'm playing and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I get kind of, uh, burnt out on it is maybe sort of overwhelmed and, and, uh, you know, it's just, there's, it gets kind of numbing, especially with the amount of games released, uh, you know, these days. So I think it's good to kind of sometimes just pause, uh, with this kind of thing, which should be just a fun, frivolous, you know, pointless hobby. And the pointlessness of it sometimes is the most important thing about it is that it's a pointless thing. You can take a break from earning a paycheck you know, dealing with, uh, you know, family issues or friend issues or health issues or, or political issues or, you know, gosh, I, I don't know who most people live, that listen to this stuff listen, listen live in the um, United States or, or Europe. You know, I can look at the, the anal, analytics and see that. But, you know, the point is the pointlessness of it. Like if you lived in Syria, and I hate to pick on Syria, but like if you lived in Syria and amid all the bombings, any sort of instant or moment that you can sort of grasp for yourself, and just, you know, apply some moment of toilless joy uh, as a five-minute break from whatever kind of hellscape that might be your life, or maybe your life isn't a hellscape, but maybe it is at varying points in life, right? So the most that you can do out of this stuff is just get some kind of mindlessness out of it almost, and just introspection, not even mindlessness of just dumb, but just you know, moments of meditation and introspection. These are all like vehicles to that sort of, that source, at least for me, uh, and just different ways to get there. Uh, so that kind of goes for me with the whole, you know, Game of Thrones thing. I don't think, I didn't think too much about uh, analyzing the military tactics of that final battle against the undead necromancer that can control five million zombies at the same time. But, you know, some people, maybe that they get into that and that's like why it would be interesting. Um, I don't know, writing clickbait articles about it probably isn't really that interesting to me. But thinking about it in, in, and stuff like that is pretty cool. But I don't know that there's like a right answer either. And a lot of times that's, I don't know what the right answer is when telling you a gamer is good or not. It's sometimes hard to say. I, I like exploding kittens. I still have it. So I don't know what's wrong with me. But everybody I've played with, for the most part, enjoys it. <laughs> not everybody. But there's been enough that I know there's something there. Uh, okay, so that's kind of the, the deal there. And again, I'll put a link to uh, a place for uh, posting any kind of questions you have about anything, you know, game related, whatever, Game of Thrones related. Try to keep spoiler free if you ask any kind of questions about that. Or I did see the new Avengers movie too, if you want to ask me about that for some reason. I don't think so. But, you know, and if you have me any questions like that, just keep, keep it spoiler free because I don't want anybody to like, oh, I'll go check out what's going on in the drive through guild. Oh, well, I had Game of Thrones spoiled. That sucks. Yeah, so just kind of try to be cool with that. Um, yep, so that's it for this month. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the ramble this month, but I thought it was just some interesting conversation I was having with Jamie and folks, and uh, just want to get off my chest. So take care. See you in a week or a month, depending. Bye.